Welcome to the fourth Savings Guru podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Colin Field today, who's uh, CEO of the Saffron Building Society that are based across Essex and the Suffolk area and Cambridgeshire. Colin, thanks for coming on. It's good to be talking to you today. Uh, thanks, James, for inviting me. It's, uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be part of your podcast. Oh, thank you. Do you want to start by telling us a uh, a little bit more about the history of Saffron, how the society has got going and, and, and kind of bring us up to where you are today. Yeah, happy to. We've been going quite some time, actually. We're 171 years old, originally founded back in 1849 by a reverend, probably in time with many of the building societies within the building society movement, you know, with the intention of providing better housing for people living locally. So initially it was called the number two Saffron Building Society. And I don't know what the number one Saffron Building Society was. But we've been going for 170 years and still going strong. And clearly we've grown a bit over that period of time. But actually the goals of society in that time haven't really changed. We're still here trying to provide housing for people and also providing a safe place for people to put their money and get some return. I guess that that's, yeah, particularly given the current current environment we're going through, that's probably become even more pertinent at, at the moment. The local relationship being on the ground. Yeah, it, it's vitally important. I think what we're finding, like many others, is we are owned by our members and we work for our members. But building those strong relationships with people and building trust is going to be absolutely key. Because, you know, as you will be more than aware, the amount of competition that we have, not just on the high street, but now online as well, means that whilst we've got to be really, really strong on the online space and over the phone, we've got to have stronger relationships with people locally. And increasingly what we're finding is, both in terms of our staff and also our members, they're just talking about the importance of community in terms of actually they want more from us than just providing, you know, good products and a consistent service. They're also asking for us to do more. So uh, we're having to we're having to get more embedded within the community, and that's actually quite attractive for our staff as well. I think that's a really interesting point you've made. I'm really curious just to see how things change. There's different kind of schools of thoughts about kind of how we'll come through this coronavirus and what what the world will look like going f- forward. Yeah, you know, some people think it you know we're kind of almost in a mothball and we'll come back to normal. And other people have got more extreme views that, that yeah, everything will fundamentally change. I, I think for me, there's a couple of things that that I think will be really important. I think it is that that community that you mentioned and is forcing businesses to digitise that haven't done already. I mean, that's something you've you talked a bit about the community there, but also that the digital side is something that you've worked on as well in terms of your systems and what what you have in place to to marry the two together. It really is the key thing is marrying the two, James. Now, I think a number of people you certainly used to say to me there was a perceived thought that you know for example a lot of the people who'd be our normal customers people 50 years of age and older you know people would say they don't use computers they don't use mobiles you know we've been able to show now for a few years that that's that's not the case actually digital technology is used by all of our all of our members all demographics use digital technology and the key thing we have to do is to be able to offer a digital service in addition to that face-to-face personalized service and ideally, what we want to do is, is kind of create the same tone, same experience digitally as people as people see you know, face to face. And, and in terms of you know, the whole horrible crisis we're going through now, I think it's going to have a huge impact. And, and I don't know exactly, as you were saying, James, I don't know which way this is going to go. Because what we are seeing is that people who normally would have preferred to use face to face services, you know, use, for example, branch services or post services, they're now taking to digital services and mobile services, and they're getting really confident at using them. And I don't know whether 
you know, following this COVID crisis, you know, they're going to continue to embrace or even further move towards more platform-based savings potentially, or whether they're going to actually really yearn to get back that face-to-face contact. So that's one of the things that we really need to watch, and it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. I, I, agree, I agree with you. I think I, I think for, for for definite, some of the the move to online and digital channels will will stay. Uh, whether it all does remains to be seen, but I think that that community and personalization will also be yearned for. I think people have missed it. It's whether whether people go back to it for a bit and then stick with it or or move away. But I, I'm not so sure they will. I, my sense is that that's been quite important that community for people during during this and um i think there's been a uh, a lot of recognition of companies who have who've got kind of behaved well during this and and put their customers first uh through the crisis um and recognize the, the situation we're in I mean, you i've been really interested to see some of the things that have gone on in the mutual sector we talked before we came on air a little bit about some of the things you've been doing in terms of of contacting customers which I, th- I think is really lovely i hope we see we see some of that kind of stay going forward i hope so too i, th- I think it really brings to the front of people's attention just what's important and it really is about family friends I think people are becoming, you know, more and more aware of their local communities as well, and just how important they are for them. Um, yeah. so whereas I think the, uh, you know, the, the familiarity with digitization, I think, will be will just accelerate a trend we've seen already. You know, I think, you know, hopefully when we come out of this terrible crisis, you know, I think we will have a, a, a society will have changed quite a bit, and what they expect of businesses will have changed, and what the and the service they expect will also have changed. And I'm of course proud that that my colleagues. You know, this really fits into what they love doing. You know, they love they love serving members. They love talking with members. You know, we never try and hurry people off the phone. For example, we don't have any any regard for doing that. <laughs> uh, and in fact, we've also got we've actually created a role, a full time role in our society, who they are responsible for looking after vulnerable customers. So what they will do is coordinate activity, and they're always in hand if we come across any of our members who's demonstrating vulnerability as well. Which is especially prevalent at this time. Is that is that something unique to to Saffron, Colin? Because that's not something I've I've heard too many uh, people say that they've actually got a you know somebody full time just purely looking after their vulnerable customers. I, I don't know if it's unique, but it was really clear to me that we needed to have that role. You know, the individual concern is was just so passionate about that as as part of you know aligned with her day job that she basically you know beat down my door and saying, look, there's a real problem out there with vulnerable people. Who are being taken victim of either you know generally by scams in particular and there's been a lot of lot of news about scams in the press over this covid crisis and we recognized we needed to make sure that a we had a point of contact a point of excellence for people to go to if if they did detect vulnerability with customers and b we needed somebody who could actually train that out so now you know she will spend a lot of time dealing with specific issues but also making sure for example that all our staff are familiar with dementia which is a growing problem in society and a number of other things in there as well. So it, it probably isn't unique, but but I think it will be in, increasingly prevalent in in organisations like ours as we move forward. I think that's a very commendable thing that you've 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 done there. So that's a really nice thing to to hear. We talked uh, a little bit earlier, but you mentioned about sort of some of the challenger banks and um, yeah, mutuals have have kind of typically had the uh, that I'd say the moral high ground versus the big banks in terms of how they look after customers, both in terms of of service, but also in terms of offering them a fair deal on on rates. 
we've obviously noticed that in in more recent years, challenger banks have been the ones that have now started to to occupy more of those best buy tables. But Saffron's been a bit of an exception to this. We've seen you regularly in the ISAs, uh, bonds, business savings. Uh, can you tell us why Saffron feels you know what sa- savers are still important to to them when maybe. Uh, others would feel that that's not the case. Yeah, I think it's probably generic across the whole of the building society sector. I'd say there is a, you know, we absolutely have the sense that they are our members. They, they it, we, we, we serve them. It is, it is their business. And you know, even given the historic low rates we're seeing now, what we always try and do is offer sustained fair value to to our members. And I think you know, two of the elements at play there is, you know, if you look at the large banks, and this is just the nature of their ownership structure. That they're set up for their shareholders, so their setups could return for shareholders. I think what really brought me towards the mutual sector is that we're not geared up that way. We're actually set up for our members, so our, by not having shareholders, it means we can actually generally pay better rates to members. And even when we see changes in interest rates, what we certainly do at Saffron is try and balance to make sure that you know where we're losing on one side of the balance sheet. And apologies for using technical term, you know we're also paying about the same amount on the other side, and we would look to be fair with regard to that. So I think yeah. the ownership structure really helps in that regard. And it certainly gives me more leeway as a CEO to to be able to put the customer first in a way that maybe I wouldn't be able to do if I was uh, in, in a listed bank. To go into the other element in there, I think the key thing is that if you look at the large clearing banks, certainly since the recent retail ring fencing, they have lots and lots of savings deposits already. And they don't really have the need to pay up. In fact, many of them are overly liquid. You know, which is also driving some of the exceptionally low rates in mortgages that you currently see now. What we're doing though at Saffron is what, what you also see, and with the, the the incoming of many challenger banks, which have really created huge competition, is they're growing and they're looking to grow their grow their businesses quickly. And I think with technology and you know with people like yourselves making clear where value is available, it means that if you want to attract funding in, then you have to pay for it. You you have to pay a competitive price for it. And I think what you're seeing at Saffron is a combination of those two those two dynamics coming together. We look to provide value to, to members in the long term, but we're also trying to grow again in terms of growing our lending. And to do that, we're having to um, we're having to build up our balances, and clearly we have to be competitive to do that as well. So if we get it right, it becomes a benefit for both our, our mortgage customers and also our savings customers as well. So the secret is to try and you know try and get it right. One area you you've been I'd say particularly competitive. Uh, you've you've sat uh, for a, for a long while uh, as one of the best buys is in the children's accounts category. Why are children so important to, to Saffron? The main driver for us is we, we've looked at the research and it shows that an adult's attitude to money is shaped sometimes as early as seven years of age, and having pocket money and then getting into the right savings habit can be a real positive influence on them. So. We really want to encourage people to develop a savings habit and to make sure that they've got money saved away just in case they come into hard times. Because, you know, when you look at the population, I think it's about 12 million households have got hardly any savings. So we've taken the taken the decision that the way to do that is to try and engender those kind of behaviours as earlier age as we possibly can do. And then hopefully, of course, we're going to try and hold on to those customers as they get older. You know, clearly there's a commercial interest in it for us. But, but mostly it's trying to drive those right behaviours. I think it's really interesting what you said there about as early as seven. I think uh, the the amount of people that I speak to who still kind of bank or save with 
the providers that they opened up with uh, around that age, uh, whether that was uh, their own interest or you know large leaning on from the from the parents or, or or some sort of trigger like getting some money at Christmas or for a birthday. Uh, it, it's a, it's amazing. Uh, there is, there's the oft quoted uh, statistic that we tend to divorce more in the UK than we do move move bank accounts. So I, I think it's uh, it's really good that given what you've said, but particularly that you you offer such a competitive uh, range to to children. Another account that caught my eye that you've got in the pipeline is uh, a plan to launch uh, an Enviro Saver. Can you? Tell us a bit more about this and, and what's your thinking behind it. What's what's kind of prompted you to, to launch that? Yeah, happy to, Jane. I'm really quite excited about this. Hopefully, we'll be launching it on Friday, which is about 29th of May. One of the things we do is, and, and it's a real benefit of being a you know a small to medium-sized organisation, is we listen to our customers, we listen to our staff, and it is clear that increasingly both, both, both our, our customers and members and staff are passionate about the climate, about the environment, uh, and about local initiatives. And what we've done is try to harness their enthusiasm to try and support initiatives that they're passionate about. So the Enviro Saver, the, the main tenet of it is it's an online instant access product. Uh, and what we're asking for is that the customer will pay 0.05% or five basis points, as we call it, less, they will receive less that less than they would on the uh, comparable normal product and we will pay that and an additional 0.05%, which makes it 0.1% to the charity that they choose. And we've uh, run a poll with our members and they've chosen a charity which we're going to support for the next year. And what we're hoping is that members will see that they can help contribute and we'll match that contribution to them and we'll end up doing some real good in the community. I think that's a, that's a really interesting idea. I think those sort of accounts kind of, you got kind of called sort of you know loyalty community type of accounts historically but they seem to have um died a death in in certainly in the last decade or so i've seen very few other other than uh, one or two sort of exceptions so but that's really interesting that uh that y- you've brought that back um purely as a kind of green finance type type play focusing on the the environment Oh, you you mentioned that you were uh, you were giving members the opportunity to vote on on the beneficiary of that. Have you had the results in for that, or is that still ongoing? Yeah, we have. So th- for this year, we'll be supporting the conservation volunteers, and they operate nationally. And what they do is they coordinate activity to try and clean up, smart up, and improve green spaces. So you know, hopefully, you know, with this COVID crisis as well, people will recognise the benefit of being able to get in the outdoors. And they coordinate a lot of activity to just improve the environment for people. So we'll be supporting that charity for the next year. And uh, I, I'm really hoping it takes off. I, I, I really am. And, and that we can we can do some real good. I can't say that I've seen anything like that in the savings market. I, I've seen some sort of green finance, as, as it's referred to in the industry, initiatives on, on the investment side and um uh, kind of fun side but but not on the not on the saving side so i shall be i should be really interested to see how that goes and i, I look forward to uh to seeing the the launch on on friday we've talked quite a bit about some of the things you've done on on savings you've obviously been quite active do you have any other plans in your sort of savings proposition roadmap for the for the future that you can tell us about certainly in, in the savings we, we we're always talking to our members to find out you know what what they were like, and I think this is probably a good test point for us to see if this works uh, and see if it captures the imagination. 
I, I think on the broader piece, we, we're very keen on the green finance uh, initiatives as they stand anyway. So we're doing other things around there. So one of the things you'll see that we'll launch is we're launching a green hub where we're going to provide information to customers and non-customers in terms of how they can save energy and also save money by making good choices. So we're looking to launch that towards the end of the week as well. And likewise as well, we're trying to launch some other mortgage products as well, which reward people for retrofitting their homes and making them more energy efficient. So you know what we're doing in, in terms of the environmental aspect is we're constantly going to challenge ourselves in terms of what else we can do. Because I think now... You know, there are very few people in the population, thankfully, who don't see climate change as being a real problem. You know, it's significant, probably the biggest issue that the, that the world, world, world sees, and that we all have to play our part. And it's become a real rallying point for staff as well, because they're passionate about it. So that's, that's broadly what we're trying to do. In terms of other savings products, you know, it will be the case that we're constantly, we're going to keep trying to promote good savings habits. So we'll look towards that as well. Um We've currently, off air, we were talking about some of the actions we've taken to try and restrict footfall into our branches uh, because of the COVID crisis. But what we were looking to do is when our branches do open up again, see what else we can do to try and, for example, do more regular saver activity, uh, you know, and get people doing doing the right savings activity and building good habits. We did talk a little bit about uh, the branches and you've, you've got a network of, of eight. I, perhaps you could sort of tell us a little bit about how you have coped with uh, with the COVID-19 impact and and how that's uh, how that's impacted how you operate in the branches what you've had to do differently. You know, I'm, I'm very pleased and proud that we've managed to keep all our branches open throughout the throughout the crisis we've what we've tried to do is do whatever we can to keep our staff safe keep our members safe trying to restrict foot flow as opposed to trying driving people into the branch as much as possible and I'm really really proud of our staff all of whom you know, have stepped up, have come into work every single day uh, and continue to serve customers. I think the, the impact it's had is we've seen fewer people coming into the branches, but we've seen more phone call activity going on. And we've been using our branches to do outbound calling to customers to help them with savings reviews. And sometimes just to just to call them to see how they are, which we've done in some cases as well. Um, so for me, the incredible thing I've seen is that we've managed to keep the business within the branches working, you know, just about as effective as we were before by using different channels, which I think is incredible. And I wouldn't have thought that would have been the case prior to the crisis. But perhaps as we talked before, that really is an indication indicator of the way that the future will pan out as well, with people getting more familiar with using different channels. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think uh, I, I saw Jess Staley of uh, Barclays talk, talk in the, uh, during the results. Uh, and one of the things that he was obviously naturally asked about was, was the Canary Wharf office space that uh, that they had, and, and and his response was that we probably aren't going back to that kind of working anytime soon. And when we do, it will be significantly different to to how we have. But but he also in, interestingly talked about about branches and and about potentially uh, locating some of the staff back in into branches, using some of the space in in there, and having having staff kind of using. Um, branches as, as hot desk and uh, I thought that was a fascinating insight to his thinking uh, you know we've we've gone through a period where the bigger banks have obviously uh, shut down a huge number of, of branches you know thousands over the past decade uh, and, and whether this crisis could kind of signal a bit of a revival as people get kind of uh, used to that community support that the, the branch network provides. I think it's a real opportunity for businesses to 
really think through how they can support their customers' financial health and and the role of the branch in doing that. And I think historically, I, I can only talk for Saffron, what, what our vision is in terms of how can we turn our branches into hubs where people could, or, or, or build, or into branches where people can come into and they know they can get trusted advice. So that's what I think we're going to have to move towards and what we should move towards. In terms of use of space, absolutely. We went overnight on the 23rd of March from being centred in Saffron Walden, where we're based, to overnight having about 80 people working remotely, dialing in, using video conferencing, and working from their homes. Now, quite extraordinary. And I, I can see no... I, I agree with Jess Daly that we're not going to move back very quickly to the way things were, and we're probably not going to move there at all. So we're actually rethinking the way that we do things at Saffron as well. And I think the second thing there is, I think staff's expectations have changed as well. You know, in terms of people who historically were really have wanted the freedom to go and work more remotely and have more flexibility, have now demonstrated they can do that and they can work highly effectively. And I think those managers who probably were less keen on people working remotely because they weren't sure what they were doing, I think they recognise now that no people can be just as productive and even more productive by working remotely as well. So there's a number of dynamics at play there. And then the, the final piece, though, is is, is just recognising that people are social animals. And as much as what I'm seeing is that we're working highly effectively remotely, there is still that human interaction that you get in the workforce that you, you can't do as well over video conference. So whether it be using branches or whether it be configuring office spaces completely differently, you know, I, I think that's probably the future that we'll be moving back to and certainly not the future, not where we've come from in the past. I think obviously this is this has all been a you know an awful uh, situation for the for the country. But yeah, I, th- I think I'm, I'm somebody who would consider myself a a natural optimist, and and, and are you looking for what what you know might be the good that comes of of that uh, situation? And I think this is this is one where I can really see some positive benefits that we make some real change in in how we work and how we interact with with each other going going forward and and some real societal benefits from the to come out of that i i hope i, I agree with you i don't I, I don't think we are going back to to where we were uh, it, it, the the bit is what uh, what degree of change do we we see what what amount sticks if you like going going forward where we where we end up settling as our new normal as it seems to be getting referred to one thing I always ask every guest on the uh, on the show, uh, so you 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 can't escape this one, I'm afraid either, is if you were if you were chancellor for the day, uh, and obviously obviously Rishi's been pretty busy man recently, and savings probably not been at the uh, forefront of of his mind. But what what would be the one change that you would make uh, that that would benefit savers if you were if you were in charge of the treasury? Well, 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 well thank you, James, for asking me that question. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i'd imagine rishi's quite busy at the minute and uh i don't think too many people would probably want to have his job because uh no it's a bit of a poison chalice um i, th- I think the obvious thing to say is the the chancellor no longer has authority to change interest rates so the obvious thing for any say would say well i want to have higher interest rates um what i would do and i think you should really look at or, or if i'm chancellor i would look at i should say is how do we create more incentives in the tax system for individuals to build up a basic level of savings that would protect them from any shock? And you know, my, my view on that would be why not, in the same way that pension pensions are deducted, are tax deductible and paid directly from businesses, 
why don't we create instead a payroll saving scheme, uh, which had allowed an individual to save, say, a couple of thousand pounds tax-free, which would mean that they'd have money set aside in the case of you know a shock coming their way. And, and as I said before, you know, one of the things I'm really concerned about is that the number of people who have no savings, and if they have any issues with their, you know, it could be the washing machine, could be the car, something going wrong that they have to go and fix, they have no means other than high-cost lending to go and get the money to go and fund that. So what I would do is I'd create an incentive in the tax system to try and help people build up that degree of safety. I like that idea, Colin. I think that's, re- that's a really interesting uh, take on it. I think we've seen a few kind of plays from the from the government over the years obviously initially starting with kind of the ISs uh, and more recently we've had the personal savings allowance and the the help to save t- trying to target people to get exactly that kind of emergency kind of fund you talked about you know trying to get people saving up to 600 pounds a year which then gets uh, uh you know a bonus a significant bonus from the the government but um payroll uh saving isn't uh isn't something that's been you know, been looked at. They've they've got there eventually with auto enrolment, with with pensions. I, I think um, I think that whole space will will ultimately get looked at. I suspect that uh, it it hasn't done in more recent times because of the the you know the political upheaval we've we've had with the leaving the European Union and general election and, and now COVID. Uh, but I, I suspect that uh, that will rise higher up the the list when when the dust settles on this and the, the government kind of realizes and looks back and, and sees just how many households are yeah you know, I've, I've seen numbers like you, you quoted 12 12 million there and that, that's a yeah you know, i've seen numbers between nine and nine and sort of 12 13 million quoted it's a, that's a lot of people um not having that kind of you know basic safety net as you as you said to be able to cope and then having to go to uh to, to sort of some of the more extreme forms of lending to to survive when they get a get a jolt. Uh, I, I hope uh, I, I like that idea. I hope that's uh, that's an area of reform that does get looked at uh, once we're through the worst of this. We've we've obviously seen a huge amount of of changes over the the last few years in the in the savings market, uh, which some of the which we just talked about. What what changes do you think? we're going to see in the future over the next few years, Colin? I think we'll, we'll see a number of number of changes and probably some accelerations of what we've seen already. Um, you know, I, th- I think certainly with the coronavirus experience and more people getting more familiar with digital channels, um, I think we're going to see people being open to using more digital channels. I think we're going to see people open to more switching going on. Uh, people will be far more keen to understand actually the options that they face. So that's going to be great for the consumer over a period of time. Um, I think it also means that we're going to have to see a number of institutions change the way that they service customers as well, which it'll be interesting to see how they can actually respond to that too. Um, I think what we'll also, or I hope we see as well, is that, you know, given, given again the crisis that we're in now, people will really start to consider their future financial health very seriously and they'll really start to think about potentially savings more, saving more. You know, over the last five years, we've seen the general savings rate in the UK being as low as it ever has been, around about five to six percent. So it would be good if we started to see that. And of course, the the uh, real challenging thing, I guess, to see, which is which I think you raised in one of your blog posts, was actually what's going to happen with interest rates, because I think in the certainly over the near term, I don't think we're going to see um, we're going to see savings rates that are going to make 
savers feel particularly uh, more pleased about what they're receiving from institutions as well. I think it's really interesting what you say uh, uh, in terms of the crisis, and I, th- I think we've we've kind of probably had a lot of people now see the value of having uh, a, a, a pot of emergency savings for scenarios like this, if not to uh, not to cover all the way through, but just the value of having something there, a safety net uh, of some of some description. And I I really hope you're right. I hope, I hope we do see a kind of resetting there once once we've recovered from the shock of of this that uh, that people kind of value that safety net to, and that we can help more people get that in place as an industry colin i think that probably brings things to an end i, th- I think we've uh, we've covered some really great stuff there it's been a really interesting episode to to record i uh, thank you ever so much for joining us it's been a been a pleasure to to talk to you and i uh, I look forward to continuing watching the saffron go to, from strength to strength. Thank you very much, James. Thanks, Colin. Mm-hmm.